that we're holy because of what you've done. Thank you, Lord God, that when we celebrate your holiness, we don't just celebrate who you are. We celebrate what you've made us and what you've done for us. I pray that you would help us this morning to realize that there's so much in your word that gives us life, that inspires us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us an enjoyment of our Father and help us to see the Bible in its proper place in that pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Okay. Hey, Cade, would you stand up? This is his last Sunday, guys. He's headed off to Laramie. He's going to be working and going to college. And he runs our stream all the time. He's going to be missed. And I just wanted to make it really, really weird for him. <laughs> you can sit down. You, you want to say something? <laughs> okay. Just kidding. Just kidding. So, um, good morning. So, I don't know how long you've been coming here. but I want you to understand my job. My job is to send you out that door asking questions. That's my job. My job is to challenge what you're thinking now and give you some bigger thoughts, some God thoughts to chew on this week. And that's what I'm about to do. Sometimes it makes you nervous. And I do that on purpose for my own personal entertainment. No, I'm just kidding. I do that because of what my dad taught me that I'm going to share with you today. Batteries dead or dying. We just changed them too. We did. He's all right. There we go. So my, th those are some of my memories from a young man. My dad would set the table. He'd read his Bible. And uh, every morning, that was it. And then later, it became a Thompson chain that he would read, uh, which is another reference Bible. And my dad would say to me, about the age of 13, I got the Bible bug, I guess you'd say. And I started reading it every day. Started trying to memorize large portions of it, trying because I was, you know, I was young, but I was also trying to figure out how to live for God, figure out this faith thing. 
And my dad would come to me. I'd, I'd, I'd be at the kitchen table with my Bible. Well, actually, his old Bible, that old blue Schofield. And I would be reading, trying to get it at 13, 14. And my dad would come behind me, and he'd put his hands on my shoulders, and he would rub them, which is why I don't trust anybody rubbing my shoulders now. But it's another story for another time. And he would say, son, sorry, <laughs> something about when your dad calls you son, that's a big thing, you know. He would say, son, read that book. It'll change your life. And he would know because it changed his. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about the Bible. And I want to talk specifically about the Word of God. And I'm going to make a distinction for you that I've made before, but if you haven't been coming long, you may have not heard me made it. But it's very important that you understand something about the Bible and the Word of God today. And I'm grateful that my dad taught me about the Bible and how important it is. And I want you to know, before we even get going, the Bible's not intimidating. Most people are. They look at that thick book, and they go, oh my gosh. And then the pages are like tissue paper, if you've touched a... You're like, that's a lot of pages, and that's, inti that's intimidating. But one, the Bible's not a book, it's a library of books. That's really important to understand, okay? It's a library of books. It's also a library of books written by almost all Jewish men. Not Greek men, not American men. Greek, I mean, uh, Jewish ones. One of them was a Greek, Luke. He's the one we connect with the easiest because he thinks like us, but none of the others do. And so it, what I want you to know is it's, it's, it's not as complicated, it's not as intimidating as we think. In fact, what makes the Bible intimidating is not the Bible. It's our lenses. What makes it hard to understand is that we are Americans with European heritages, and we're coming to the Bible with these compartmentalized ways of thinking and with millennia of religious baggage parked in our consciousness somewhere, subconsciousness somewhere. So when we read the Bible, we read all that into it. Then we read our own story into it, our own failures, our own problems, our own challenges, our own abuses, our own wounds, our own values. We read all of that into it. So you could have 10 people in a small group read the same passage of Scripture, and you would have 10, sometimes 12 different perspectives. If I'm there, you'll have 12, because I'll be going, well, you know, it could mean this, but it could also mean that. <laughs> Excuse me. And so I... There was a meme a friend of mine posted uh, a couple weeks ago, and the meme, it kind of ticked me off, and, but, but it's because of my mindset. It's not that there was anything wrong with the meme, but the meme said something like, if there wasn't a Bible-believing church close to me, I would drive 30 miles to go to a Bible-believing church. And that ticks me off, and you're like, why? Bible-believing church is important. It, it is. Here's the problem. Most people don't mean Bible-believing. They mean believe the Bible as I do. And I'm going to tell you something else. If you're in a town that doesn't have a church that trusts and leans into the Bible, it needs one, so start one. You say, Michael, I don't think I can do that. I just slapped all of you. I didn't mean to. That wasn't my intent. But Jesus put you in the, in the town you're in to be a witness to that town, not to go hide with saints behind stained glass 30 miles away. That's Michael's opinion. Michael's opinion. So, Michael, that's not the Word of God. Well, it might be. When we're done here, you might see that it is. So, we'll move on. <laughs> so, 
So here's some things I want to give you as I challenge you to read the Bible today. One, remember, God is good. Foundational to everything. And you know why God is good? God is good because 1 John 4.10, God is love. He is love. Every story you read in that Bible, even the ones that scare you, and there will be many, you must remember God is good. Second thing I want to teach you, for application, not hermeneutics. And you're sitting there going, I don't know what hermeneutics is. Good. It's okay. For application, when you read any story, see yourself in the story. Why? Because God has something to say to you, which we'll get to in just a minute. God is good. See yourself in the story for application. Three, probably more important than all, ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. The Holy Spirit, that's His job, is to teach the Bible to you to teach the Word of God to you technically, which we'll come back to that thought in just a minute. And you know what? If you have a question, ask it. That's what Ordinary Faith's about. You can ask questions. You can ask unpopular questions here. We're good with it. We're okay with it. Do we have all the answers? No, no, no. We have more questions than answers, to be honest with you. But what we can help you do is reframe the question, think about the question, think about what God has to say, think of Jesus because Jesus is what God has to say, and God is love, and Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, and so we can help you begin to process your life in light of the answer, who is Jesus, although even though in life the answers, plural, are somewhat challenging at times. Does that make sense? You still with me? I hope you stay there. We're going to see how we go as we move forward. So the Bible will do a lot of great things for you. Now, let me adjust a little bit of thinking before we proceed. God gave me a word. He gave me a lot of words on my sabbatical, but this was one of them. My wife and I were talking about theology and churches and denominations. We visited several while I was on sabbatical. And this is what, after experiencing some different environments... This is what I feel like the Lord said to me, or said through me. I trust more in God's mercy and grace than I do in man's ability to get his theology right. Why do I say that? Churches now are grouping up by birds of a feather mentality. You think like me. We're right. You're right just like I am. Together, we're even more right. And people who aren't with us, they're wrong. And here's what happens with that thinking. Eventually it gets to, and, and I could give you plenty of cases and entire denominations that would argue this, many of them believe we're right, everyone else is wrong, and going to hell. We're the only ones. I don't know if heaven's going to have little compartments in it where all those people are going to think to themselves, see, we're the only ones here. I don't know if that's going to... Like God will say as we walk by those rooms, shh, they think they're the only ones here. <clears throat> why am I picking at this? I'll tell you why. There's a few things that it matters to be right about. Jesus is number one. Jesus is number one. Every other 
theological idea. Godly people are on either side of the discussion who love God, love Jesus, and they disagree with each other. You understand? That's why we're non-denominational, guys. Because we believe that we can focus on Jesus, make a lot of, of Jesus, and we can love and support each other even though we may not agree with each other. Believe me, if you sit down and talk to me long enough, you'll find out that I probably disagree with everybody else on everything. That's why it had to be non-denominational, because I'm not like anybody else. I wish I was kidding. Uh, my point is stay humble. Look for Jesus. Look for Jesus, not knowledge. Knowledge can help you, but knowledge is not the goal. Okay? So that being said, we're going to start walking into a passage of Scripture, one that no one understood that when Jesus taught it. And Jesus had this amazing preaching style. He would tell a story, and everyone would be looking like this at the end of the story. And he would say, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. That's what he would do. Okay? In this case, he decided to break down the story for his disciples, and that's what we're going to jump into. It's the story of the soils. Okay? So Mark 4.14, I read through the whole passage, and then we're going to come back to it. Okay? Mark 4.14. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. <clears throat> the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who bear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they won't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced." And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. If you're like me, the first time you read that story that Jesus shared and read Jesus' explanation of the story that Jesus shared, you walk away from that going, I still don't get it. That's okay. It's okay. We're going to talk about it today, this story, because we're talking about the Bible. My dad told me to read the Bible. But what I want you to understand, and this may be a little, might cause a little faith indigestion, which will be good for you. The Bible and the Word of God are not the same thing. This is really important to understand. Why? How can you say that, Michael? Because Jesus said that the farmer goes out and sows God's Word. Guess what did not exist when he said those words? The Bible did not exist. The Old Testament did exist in certain forms, but it was not readily available. And so I need you to understand that there's a difference between the Bible and the Word of God. Why do you need to understand that? I love my wife very much. If she wrote me a letter... I would like that. She writes, she, she has beautiful penmanship. Just the penmanship's worth the letter. Even if it said nasty things, I would enjoy the letter. Because <laughs> her penmanship's beautiful. 
But if she wrote me a love letter or some kind of letter and she told me wonderful things that I wanted to hear or just even told me about her life or her story, that'd be great. The point of the letter, though, is not the letter. The point of the letter is my wife sharing her heart, me coming to know her, our relationship together. If I take that letter, build an altar to the letter, build an entire flipping building to the letter, Put the letter on a podium up front of everyone else. And every week I go and say, that is an amazing letter. Praise God for the letter. <laughs> All the while my wife's sitting at home. I, I did, forgot to bring her to church. <laughs> Do you see the hypocrisy in that? It's too easy to worship the Bible and miss the author. So that's why this is important. The Bible will get you to the Word of God. The Bible is critical. I am not minimizing the Bible in any way, by the way. I am maximizing the author. The point of the Bible is it is a means to an end. That means gets you to the Word of God. Because you can study the words on that page or in your phone until you're blue in the face, until you know it all inside and out, and if it does not connect you to the Word of God, if God does not breathe His breath into it for you, it will never be the Word of God to you. You see, it's called the living Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. What do you think makes it live? The breath of God. This is important. So, that being said, we have a farmer going out who's sowing the seed. And Jesus says the seed is God's Word. It's the Word of God. And so I want you to receive and hear today the Word of God. I'm going to give you some things to think about. I'm going to challenge some things that I've already challenged some things that you think about. And when you leave here, I want you chewing on those things. I want it to go farther than just a few jokes and an hour and a half talk. I love nervous laughter. I love it, love it, love it. So we start with this, the Bible, and we start with it from the belief system that we are getting to Jesus. And we know that when we get to Jesus, miracles happen. I was in a, one of the churches that I visited, a good church, loved the pastor, know him personally. He was teaching on James, the book of James. And, um, and James is a, is a fun book. It'll challenge you. But he was, he was talking about good works. And James talks a lot about good works. And as I was sitting there, I'm taking notes because that's the only way I can pay attention. If I sit there like a lot of you guys and I don't have something to write with, my brain is working on a golf game this afternoon. I don't even play golf. But, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> well, if you saw me play golf, you would know I do not play golf. So, um, but anyway, he, the Lord said to me, he's talking about good works and, and their importance in faith, and they are, and, he, and it was good. The message was good. But the Lord said to me, good works and good fruits are not the same thing. You see, what I be, what I, as I began to think on that and develop that thought, I realized there are a lot of things that a lot of people think are good things to do. But they don't, if they don't produce the fruits of the Spirit... You can't produce the fruits of the Spirit in your own effort, by the way. Fruits, like apple trees grow apples because it's their nature to grow apples. They don't sit in the dirt and grunt until an apple pops out. 
okay? That's how Christians try to approach their faith. Well, I'm supposed to have the fruit of love. Oh, I'm going to try and love you. I hate you, but I'm going to try. That's how they do it. <laughs> You're looking at me going, Michael, that was dumb, because I was trying to make a point. That's dumb. But good works produce love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. If you think a work is good and it's producing division, judgment, criticism, lust, wrath, anger, it ain't a good work. That's what I'm trying to say. What does this have to do with the Bible? I need to understand as you study the Bible, it should be producing the fruits of the Spirit in you. And the question what I always want to ask people when they're angry about a theological concept, and I'm a smart aleck, that is not a fruit of the Spirit, by the way, um, but it is my spiritual gift. Uh, no, just kidding. But I always want to ask them when they're getting angrier and angrier because someone doesn't agree with them, I always want to ask, so what fruit of the Spirit is that? I don't ask it anymore. It didn't turn out well the first time. So I want you to build your faith, and I want you to understand that building your faith is about getting to a place where you start to, your faith growing is when you are starting to look like Jesus. Starting to look like Jesus doesn't come from your efforts, though, but we'll, we'll come back to that, okay? So we're going to build your faith. Let's jump into the problems presented by the text. What keeps us? Because today, you're going to get some seeds. God's going to say something to you. God's breath is going to fill something that we read or that's said. Or that someone says to you while we're here. He's going to say, and what are you going to do with it? Because that's really what this is about. This is what soil's about. You see, a seed has to sit in the soil for a season for it to germinate. And so that's what this is about. If, you're going, if the Word of God is going to find a place in you, if it's going to help you, if it's going to make any difference in your life, it's got to sit in the soil of you. So that's where Jesus comes along and He breaks this down. I don't even know if you're going to get this right now, but I'm going to say it right now anyway, and hopefully I'll come back to it if I can remember. You know, soil just sits there, right? The farmer has to till the soil. He has to plant the soil. Everything that happens to the soil, this farmer is responsible for. Let's begin there. So, Jesus' story. The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to the others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Satan. It's a word that means adversary. Maybe you should think of it as prosecuting attorney. The eternity's prosecuting attorney. He's always accusing. He's always your adversary, always working against you in his various forms and through his various authority layers. So, and here Jesus says, there are those that Satan just shows up immediately and he snatches that seed away. So let's begin asking ourselves a question. What kind of person am I? What kind of soil am I? One, am I distracted? What does that mean? Well, am I sitting here right now, but I'm not actually here? I'm not focused. I'm not hearing. And whatever that that guy on front says, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to do anything with it. That's what it means to be distracted. You see, the enemy loves that because he can just steal an idea, steal a life-changing idea that God breathed into. He can steal it, and it's gone before you ever have a chance to experience the fruit of it. Does that make sense? 
we all have places in our life that we're distracted, where the enemy's just stealing our life-changing ideas, and by that, stealing our very lives. So here Jesus is, is talking about this soil that the enemy just, just snatches up. Now you're sitting there going, well, man, if I'm distracted, what do I do? I, the only thing I know to do to tell you to do common advice is keep coming, keep doing small group, keep listening to some new ideas, because the same things that, that um, make pro produce in the soil when it's prepared also prepare the soil to get a good idea. So that, that's the only advice I have. Keep at it. Wait. Because let the farmer till your soil. Because you can't, soil can't till itself. That would be weird if it did. I think it's called an earthquake. <laughs> so are you distracted? <clears throat> Second, I don't mean any of this is insults, by the way. I'm not trying to get a rise out of you for no reason. Just honest questions. Second, are you shallow? <clears throat> the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. There are times in our life that we have been shallow, every one of us. There are areas in our life that we're shallow now, meaning we're not ready. There's no depth to us yet for this particular idea. What happens? We hear something new or something we haven't thought of in that certain light before, something God breathed into. We kind of get excited about it. Hey, that's a great idea. But by the time, but, but be, be, by the time we get very far in life, we, we, it's, we've lost it. It's gone. It, it, they catch it. They get excited about it. But then they lose it. Uh, God's word, God's breath occupies a small moment. And then we move on. Because we don't have any depth to us yet in this particular area. There's nothing the seed attached itself to. Again, how the soil gets better is simply waits on the Father to, to prepare that soil. Are you anxious? The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire for other things, and so no fruit is produced. I hate this one. It's, it's possible to just to have so much on your mind, you just cannot dial into what God's saying. That's usually what's happening. That when you're walking through life going, I am not hearing from God. It's like God's ignoring me. God is never ignoring you. He has never stopped speaking to you. But what happens is we have all these cares and all these worries and all these troubles and they are distracting us and they're making us, they're creating this anxiety in us. And so then that, that seed, those godly ideas show up, but they cannot sit in the soil of us long enough to germinate because we're, we're worried about money. We're worried about our retirement. We're worried about relationships in our family. We're worried about all kinds of things. And I'm not saying those things aren't legitimate. You understand that? Life is hard. Did they teach you that in your high school? Did, at your, when you graduated that last, did they hand your diploma and say, congratulations, the easiest part of your life is over? You say, that sounds really discouraging. I know, and I'm glad they didn't say that because I wouldn't have believed them anyway. But still, life is hard. I get it. I really do. And that anxiety is just tearing you apart. And it's really hard to hear from God. 
wait. It's okay. It's okay. Because what's going to happen is you'll get to verse 20 eventually. And in verse 20, Jesus says, And the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. You see... When God's ideas sit in the soil of you and they germinate, they produce. Um, I like watermelon. Anybody else like watermelon? A couple of you? Okay, all right. Miss Lonnie and I, we're getting a melon later, you and I. If I planted a watermelon seed and that watermelon seed produced one watermelon, I would be ticked. That is not how seeds work. That is not how seeds work. Seeds produce a, a bounty. And that's what you need to understand. By letting the ideas of God, God's Word, what God has breathed into things He's saying through His Scriptures, when, he, when those things sit in you, they produce a harvest, and they don't just produce a harvest of the idea. He doesn't just give you an idea so you can get that one idea. He gives you things so that your life can become overwhelming, abundant, excessive, and, and victorious. That's what he's doing in you. He's not giving you seeds so you can walk around depressed. And, well, I'm, God's got me in suffering 101. God doesn't have you in the class. Your adversary does. God has you. He's equipping you. He's putting God ideas to carry you through. While the enemy's trying to crush you, God is taking that crushing and molding you into a champion. That's the kind of ideas. That's what God's word will do in you. It will take you who feels defeated, feels like you're not winning anymore, feels like everyone against you, no one loves you, and begin to turn you into someone who is loved, knows they're loved by God, by others, someone who is powerful, someone who is holy, because they are in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Sometimes I get excited. <clears throat> And I, I just want you to know, for reference, I've dialed it back a lot in the last 10 years. <clears throat> I was scaring people. It was good for them, I say in hindsight. It was good. <laughs> My dad would say, read that book. It'll change your life. So that book will help you, but it'll also change you. Here's practically how that happens. So you take these ideas we just shared, these thoughts, Soil, places where God's ideas sit, places that God prepares and works in your life. And so now we move into a place somewhere that I don't know that we can have more hands on, but so we can understand how God does this. In James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Now, I'm going to come back and help you a little bit with that translation, Okay. Because I know how we Americans read that right there. I got to get to work cleaning out my life. And I'm going to tell you right now, that won't work. It won't work. You create a void in your life, the adversary will find a way to fill it, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. That's not how you do this. So you get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it is power to save your souls don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. 
If you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. What's James saying? What do I want to tap into here? I want to tap into this idea of blessing. How that God's ideas get into us and produce a life of blessing and victory and overcoming. But I, I want to think about that passage where he says, get rid of all the filth and all the ruin in your life. And I want you to see that what he's adding to, because the word that's translated get rid of in the New Living is translated put away, put aside, let go of in other translations, release in other translations, throw away in other translations. Throw away what? What are the kind of things? Well, he's talking about things that are the filth, the, the things that are old, the things that are ruined, things that are worn out, things that are bad. Here's what he's saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this into the room. There's stuff in your life that ain't working for you. There's stuff that you think that is not working. It's old. It's ruined. It's not helpful. But you're still living by it. You still are living as though these old things that are not helping you are how, the only way that you can do these things. These are why we need inspiration. We need God to speak His Word into us. Because we have blind spots. We have things in us that we're used to. They're comfortable, but they're not helpful. And so James is saying, let go. Let go of the ruin. Let go of the old. Let go of what does not work. And then he's telling you to welcome the Word of God. To, to bring the Word of God into your life. To accept it. But the word accept could also mean welcome the logos. And the Word of God is this Greek word logos. Thoughts or ideas. What God has to say. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God. And the logos was God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John chapter 1. And so he says, I want you to welcome the Logos of God that he put there. And I'm going to add this phrase because this is how it got there. When you repented, when you changed your mind, when you stopped thinking as an I am not, and you started thinking as an I am. Where'd that come from, Michael? That made no sense to me. Jesus said that he was, he said, when they asked him, is Jesus here? He said, I am. God called Himself the I Am. Tell Him that the I Am has sent you. Jesus was directly connecting to His Father when He said, I Am. And then when you repent of your sins, God takes you and puts you in Christ. Who's in God? And Christ is in you. You're just a holy mess. Sorry, I just couldn't help it. He put you in the I Am. Because now... Excuse my language, my uh, grammar. I'm not going to curse. After church. <laughs> Just kidding. Put you in the I am because now I am in the I am. And He is holy. He is righteous. He is good. He is patient. He is kind. He is loving. He is gentle. Everything that I am supposed to be, I am in Him. And everything is wrong with me. And I bet because many of you have religious backgrounds, if I started to ask you what was wrong with you, you'd list off. Uh, you could probably write pages of everything that's wrong with you. 
So I'll tell you what, after church, why don't you do that? Write those pages, write it all down, and then burn it up. Because every bit of it died on the cross of Jesus. Everything wrong with you is covered in the blood of Christ, and no one can read that ledger anymore. Amen? I don't know why you're not excited right now. I mean, I would be like, Woo! Yes! Aha! That's how I would be. I mean, I'm not that way. That's how I'd be. I think I made the babies cry. I'm real sorry about that. Welcome. <laughs> come back, come back, come back. Come back. Welcome the Word of God into your hearts. You see, this is how you overcome the filth and the wrong. It's not by getting rid of the filth. It's about letting it go. While you humbly accept, welcome the Word of God, who is, by the way, I think that guy, I think the Word of God has a name. Want to guess? Starts with a J. Jesus. And as we accept Jesus into our hearts and we receive, begin to think a different way, Jesus pushes out. He pushes out the filth, the wrong. That, that's how you change, by the way. You don't change by trying to get rid of the bad. You change by embracing what's good. The more good that you bring into your life, the less time you have for all the bad that's there. You can't push the devil. If you create a void, the enemy's going to fill it. But if you fill all the places in you that are filled with broken things, you will push out those broken things. That's what God's Word does. That's what happens when you hear from God, because the Bible says that that word is powerful. Dynamite. It's where we get our word dynamite. It's, it's powerful. That word, that Jesus, that logos is powerful to save. Hang on. Save what? What does save mean? It comes to the word sozo. Sozo, is, which is often translated save in the New Testament, means in suffering, make well, heal, preserve, protect, rescue. Anybody need any of that? Anybody need some healing, some rescue, any of those kind of things in your life? You see, the Word of God is powerful, explosive, dynamite to blow all that stuff out of your life and to save, heal, overcome, protect your souls. Psyche, Greek word psyche. What does that mean? It means that inside of you, that part of you that lays awake at night trying to solve all your problems, your guts, the part of you that is really you, Jesus, the Word of God in you can save you and save your psyche, your soul. I want some of that. My dad used to say, you could study that book your whole life, son, and you'll never even scratch the surface. I'm about 35 years in, and he's right so far. Every time I open its, I open its pages, God takes me somewhere cool, awesome, holy in Jesus. And he always takes me to Jesus. He always takes me to Jesus. Do you realize what you as a believer have available to you in that book called the Bible? I know it's hard to get into the habit 
of reading. So don't. Get into the hunger of it. Get hungry to encounter God. Get ready to enjoy your Father as He enjoys you. Get ready to not only love, but to receive God's love, to be loved. As you scour those pages and encounter the goodness of God, the love of God in real ways, that's how you harvest a blessing. Because there are so many treasures in there. Early in my ministry, I can't remember if it was the first or second church I pastored. Both of those churches suffered greatly at my hand, I will not lie. I think it was the first church I pastored. Another church had called me and asked me to consider serving. And it's how Baptist churches headhunt. It's a terrible thing. And I didn't realize it at the time. But anyway. And I, was, I used to talk to my dad every morning. Every, every Sunday morning. I'm sorry. And I was struggling with this because I was still under that old religious idea that you got to make all the right decisions if life's going to be okay. And... Uh, that's not true. Jesus died for your bad decisions too, by the way. And um, so I remember talking to dad and I'm like, dad, I don't know what's the right thing to do. This church has been good to me. They gave a, a young, inexperienced pastor a chance and I don't know what to do. And this is the passage that my dad get, shared with me. He shared with me out of the King James. It annoyed him greatly that I used anything but the King James, by the way. <clears throat> but in Proverbs 16, 9, the Bible says we can make our plans but the Lord determines our steps. He said, he said, son, pretty sure God's got this. That's what he was saying. I tell you, I've faced a lot of tough decisions over the years. Every one of them, I wanted to make the right decision. And in every one of those difficult situations, the Holy Spirit took me back to my father's words that he shared out of Scripture. The Lord sets the steps of a righteous man. Those kinds of passages can carry you through some stuff. My dad knew. I mean, my dad had been through some stuff with the church. My dad had had to leave one, had been run out of one. He had had some bad church experiences, which probably many of you have. But he didn't quit. He didn't just walk away and say, well, I'll just be the church over here by myself. I mean, if this is Jesus' bride, I think she's really important. So he stayed in there. And this is how he did it. He says, the Lord sets the steps. The Lord sets the steps. I make decisions. I might make the wrong one, but it doesn't matter because the Lord's going to set my steps. I can trust Him to do that. You see, when you learn to trust God, all of a sudden you have a God. <clears throat> so I believe the Bible will help you. There is treasure in those pages, man. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I like that verse. By the way, it's about being broke, but uh, we don't ever read that part. But <clears throat> he basically said, basically he said, I could be wealthy or, or homeless, and I could do it all with Christ. But it can apply to many things, certainly. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's one of my favorites. I like that. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Hebrews, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And then there's all those the Lord is. The Lord is my helper. The Lord is my healer. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my hope. The Lord is my healing. My Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my provision. On and on and on the Lord is. 
He just is at all moments, all points in time, every point in time at the same time he is. Those pages are filled with treasure, but the greatest treasure of all that's on every page, it's in every story. It's in the good ones and the bad ones. It's in the comforting ones and the scary ones. The greatest treasure of all is Jesus. And he's in every page. Genesis 1-1, to even so come Lord Jesus, he's there. That's the treasure. That's your answer. The Bible gets you to the answer. The Bible's a great book. It's powerful. I believe it's an Aaron. I believe it's inspired. But I believe for it to change your life, God's breath has to fill it. And for that to happen, the ideas we've talked about today and any week, they've got to sit in the soil of you. They've got to germinate. So that's your choice today. I hope God gave you some stuff. I hope maybe you wrote some things down or made a couple of notes. Not because I'm an awesome speaker. I'm actually a terrifying speaker you just discovered. Okay, But because we didn't come here to hear from a guy. We never come here to hear from a guy. We come here to hear from God and to encourage each other in that and following that God. And so my prayer today is that you will take these seeds that God gave you and that when you walk out of this place, you'll let them germinate. And they'll find... They'll find space in you, and they'll produce a harvest of blessing in you. Let's pray. Father, I do love your word. I thank you for the heritage that I have received from my family to make the Bible such a crucial part of my life and my home. Lord, I realize not everyone in this room got that privilege. So I ask today that you, through your Spirit, would take some of the nuggets that came out of the Scriptures, some of the things that we discussed, or maybe something you said completely apart from the message to someone. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take that good word, that good seed, that word, and it would plant deeply into good soil. And I pray for those who are, are with us and they're, you know, they're not sure. Maybe they didn't get as much. I pray, Lord, that you would continue in your love to just bring them closer and cultivate the soil of their hearts so that God's ideas will find place in them. I pray, I pray for the mom and dad that's here today and they have children that they're worried about and they are afraid, they're worried about their faith, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to, to trust you, to realize that you're a good father and that the things their children are going through are probably just cultivating their hearts, preparing them for good things. That, yes, the enemy, the adversary attacks and he does great harm, but God works so much good out of the harm he gets accused of being the one who did the attack. So I pray that you would help us all to trust that you are working in our lives and in the lives around us and you are bringing people to yourself. You are finding lost sheep. You are guiding people into your love and your presence. 
And I pray that everyone that leaves this place today lets, allows God's Word to find place in them and that that Word finding place drives out lesser, worthless things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.